Zoe Fellowship is gathering for outdoor services under the guidelines and restrictions of the CDC and Richardson County. Join us in the parking lot of Korean World Mission Baptist Church at 1 p.m. on Sundays. Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship exists to have fellowship with God and with one another and to extend that fellowship to others through the work of Jesus Christ. This week's sermon is from Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 21, and is preached by Pastor Paul Hall. Alrighty, um, so last year around this time, I was uh, very, very busy. Uh, I was obviously pastoring here at this church. I had a, a three-month-old baby at that time, or a little less than three months. Um, I was working uh, full-time as a manager for a small uh, Korean cell phone company that was set up in Carrollton. Um, and so I was, during this time, was some of the busiest uh, times of my life. But during that time, I had to do something that I had never actually done before, which was I had to hire and fire a lot of people. Uh, it was interesting because the positions we were hiring for, this, uh, this sales associate position that we were hiring for, it really didn't require a lot. Um, the expectations and the wages were pretty low. Um, uh, basically, you need to be motivated by money because we had like this bonus-like system set up. Like if you sold a certain amount, you'd get these bonuses. Uh, you needed to be available to work, obviously. And, and then you needed to be just really good at customer service, dealing with customers, right? Really simple, right? But what happened was because the expectations and uh, the wages were so low, uh, it actually made it really hard to retain employees over a long period of time. They, would, they either wouldn't show up for work uh, or they forgot to come in or make these mistakes that would cost the company a lot of money. And so we kept firing people and we had to keep rehiring people. And it was really uh, just Really, it was, it was really stressful. And so what ended up happening is I had to really kind of shift on how I tried to hire people, what I started to look for. And the core characteristics, um, or really characteristic that I was looking for when I started hiring was a dependability, right? Can they actually do the things that they said and agreed they would do? Would uh, they try and go for the bonuses that we set up for them? Are they actually available to work? Uh, are they actually good with interacting with customers? And maybe most importantly, would they, would they show up for work, right? And I bring this up because in today's passage, we see that the Lord actually does show up for work, okay? He is absolutely dependable. He will do the things that he said he would do. So when we started Abraham's story back in September, it started off with the Lord calling Abraham out of his father's house and into this foreign land. And he, it, uh, God promised him that he would bless him, make his name great, and he would be a blessing. And he would bless those who bless him, and God would curse those who dishonor him. And in Abraham, all the families of the world would be blessed. And so when he arrived in the land, the Lord promised that he would give this land, this land of Canaan, to his offspring. And through the story of Abraham, we see multiple threats come and uh, put the promises of God in danger. There are kings who Abraham had to go to war against, and uh, his nephew Lot kept getting himself into trouble, and so he had to keep uh, saving him. But nothing really threatened the promise, uh, promises of God more than Abraham and Sarah themselves. 
We have seen Abraham give Sarah away to foreign kings to save his own skin. But God mercifully delivers Sarah from them and protects the hope of offspring. And we see them try to make their own offspring, right? Through this Egyptian uh, servant girl, Hagar. The idea being that when Hagar conceives, Sarah would adopt, uh, her, adopt him as her own. Now, of course, Hagar's condescension and Sarah's own character deficiencies makes this impossible, which, leads, uh, which led to Hagar's first expulsion from Abraham's camp. But on top of all this, on top of all those things, Sarah is barren. She's unable to have children just naturally. And then on top of that, both Sarah and Abraham are way too old to be able to conceive a child of their own anyway. And so what we see here is they are a self-sabotaging uh, people and the odds are stacked against them, right? Nothing threatened the blessings that God had promised more than the receivers of that blessing. But throughout the story, what we see is God reiterating and confirming and reassuring them of these promises, that he will follow through, that he is dependable. And so the most miraculous of these promises, the birth of a son that they are to name Isaac, finally comes to fruition today in today's passage. Okay, so turn to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to read through verse 21, 1 through 21. Follow along with me. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at that time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who, uh, everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in, this old, in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And, she, and as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is God's word. Alrighty, so 
how this is going to go is I'm going to give you guys a few observations uh, from the text. Uh, then I'll share what the main idea is. And then, um, as you can see, if you guys have the little uh, pamphlets in the, from the back, uh, there's a list of Bible verses, and I'll explain those when we get to there. Get, uh, get there in a second, okay? So, first observation from today's text is this, that the Lord gives Sarah her son Isaac as he had promised despite all odds. Okay? The Lord gives Sarah her son Isaac as he had promised despite all odds. So it's, it's been a year, about a year since that last time the Lord had visited Sarah, which was right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right, uh, The Lord visited just as he had promised. She also conceived her offspring just as he had promised. And the point of this opening verse is to make it very, 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 very clear. It is the Lord who is following through on his promises, right? He is the one doing the work. It is not Abraham. It is not Sarah earning their way or working towards the goal. It is not that. The Lord is following through on his promises. He is working through his promises. All the way through this narrative, we see Abraham and Sarah's complaints nearly every time the promise of this offspring comes up, right? They're too old. Sarah is barren. She's been waiting for decades to be able to produce offspring, but it has not yet come to pass. And she even tries the shortcut of uh, producing offspring through Hagar and adopting him, but that just led her to be bitter and contentious against Hagar and her offspring, Ishmael. But why this is so important is that because we see the huge character flaws in all the characters here in this Abrahamic narrative, it's extremely clear that the promises of God that he intends to work through Abraham's family is all of grace. It has almost nothing to do with these flawed characters and, and their nature. It has everything to do with God's character and nature, his gracious character and nature. And so as the narrative continues, we're reminded again of all the odds that were stacked up against Abraham and Sarah in verse 5 in bearing offspring. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. And yet, they bear a son. And obviously, this is a miracle, right? We don't hear of a lot of 100-year-old and 90-year-old couples having babies. That'd be really kind of gross, honestly, right? But here, we know because of God's grace, this is a miraculous thing, an impossible, miraculous, joyous thing has happened. And so, and then we, in response to this, we also see them obey the Lord. He gets circumcised. They name him Isaac. Um, and if you remember Isaac, uh, the name, it means he laughs, which was uh, pointing to Abraham and Sarah's response to the ridiculous idea that at their age, uh, that they could produce and conceive a child. And so this is a reminder to them from God that nothing is too difficult for God. And so Sarah announces that this laughter of doubt and incredulity has now become laughter of joy, right? She's no longer weeping in despair at her childless state, but instead laughs with all those around her with the new joy that she has been given by God. God has given what he has promised, right? She has finally received a child from the Lord. And so the Lord gives Sarah her son Isaac just as he had promised against every odd, right? Second observation. The Lord reminds Abraham of his promises concerning Isaac and Ishmael. 
Okay, the Lord reminds Abraham of his promises concerning Isaac and Ishmael. So at this point of the text, some time has kind of passed, right, since the weaning of, or I'm sorry, since uh, Isaac has been born. Uh, it's probably actually been quite a, quite a few years, actually. Uh, in ancient times, weaning a child meant that the child no longer fed on his or her breast milk anymore, right? But back then, it would be between two to five years when they would actually stop, um, simply because the infant mortality rate was so high and you just need to do it longer. And so there was a celebration, and if a child was uh, weaned, it meant that they survived it, right? They survived the very high mortality rate. Uh, those of us in here who are Korean, we know this idea of pegil, a 100-day celebration for a baby, meaning they survived 100 days uh, in the wild, obviously, right? So, um, so this 100 days of survival was great cause for a celebration, right? And then in verse 9, we're reminded that Hagar and Ishmael are still around, right? So here's this birth of Isaac, the promised child, um, but here's... This servant slave woman uh, with her child that she had produced with Abraham. And they're still around. And at this point, Ishmael could be a toddler. Some commentaries I read said he, he might have even been a teenager. He might have been like 16, 17 years old at this point. Um, but his exact age is unimportant as much as he, that uh, he is morally culpable now. Right? He understands what right and wrong is. And what we see him doing here is actually wrong. Now, what wrong exactly has he done? It says that Sarah sees Ishmael laughing. And so here we see yet again a wordplay on Isaac's name. He laughs, right? But the ESV translates this as laughing. But, and when we look at that, we might wonder, like, what's the big deal? So what? Ishmael was laughing at Isaac's party. He was probably having a good time or whatever, right? But the word in the original language actually might be more accurately translated as mocking, Right? Uh, the idea here is that Ishmael was mocking Isaac. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians, he actually says that Ishmael was uh, persecuting Isaac, trying to usurp him from his place as the promised child. Um, and so this actually fulfills the Lord's prediction about Ishmael in chapter 16, where it says that he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen, uh, which basically means he's going to be a troublemaker and he's going to cause conflict, uh, particularly amongst his own family. So Ishmael was mocking him, right, laughing at him. About what? We don't know. It's speculation. But the mocking led to Sarah's uh, harsh reaction, right? Sarah goes to Abraham and demands that Hagar and Ishmael uh, be cast out, that basically they be set free. And, and the language here is really harsh. This is how we know that she's really upset at this, right? Because she doesn't even bother to use their names. She just calls them the slave woman and her son. Doesn't even call them Hagar and Ishmael, right? And so you can tell that she is pretty ticked off. But Abraham doesn't want to. For the first time, he kind of stands up to Sarah because we've always seen him kind of listen to the voice of his wife. But Abraham doesn't want to. In verse, in verse 11, he says that he's very displeased. And that may not seem like a big deal because of how it's translated, but um, the original language characterizes Abraham reacting explosively, right? He's really upset at this idea of expelling Hagar and Ishmael, right? And it shows this paternal love that he has towards Ishmael, his son. He actually loves and cares for Ishmael. And so the Lord, however, uh, he com uh, comforts Abraham this time around. This time, the Lord tells Abraham to listen to the voice of Sarah for the exact same reason that Sarah had argued to cast them out, that Ishmael will not be heir alongside Isaac. 
And why that's significant is because in those days, if you were a slave or servant of a certain family and you bore children for that family, um, those children could inherit the father's possessions. And so Ishmael technically had rights to Abraham's possessions if Abraham were to pass away as his son. However, if you release them, if you cast them out, like Sarah is telling them to do, then they would forfeit their right to the inheritance. That was the idea. So the Lord reassures Abraham of the promise he had made to Hagar a few chapters ago, right? So Abraham doesn't want to do it, but the Lord reassures him, and he reiterates the promise here in verse 13. He says, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. And so Abraham obeys the Lord, right? He trusts the Lord yet again with the fate of his first son. And so with a fatherly love, he provides food and water to get them where they're going. And we will see that yet again, the Lord follows through on his promises. Now, it should be said, if you think that this expulsion was quite harsh, it kind of is, right? Um, But this expulsion was actually quite necessary, right? The promise of inheritance is threatened, And so the threat must be dealt with. The mockery from Ishmael was a threat that Ishmael would supplant Isaac as the rightful heir of God's promises. And so while we might sympathize with the plight of Hagar and Ishmael, which we should when we're reading this, who really simply got tangled up in Abraham and Sarah's unbelief in the promises of God, it is clear that Isaac is the chosen offspring of the Lord, and this expulsion was to protect that promise that, and make it clear to Abraham that Isaac is this promised child, right? And so that being said, what we see happen next shows that God uh, shows God as a gracious and faithful God, and he has not abandoned Hagar and Ishmael, but has his own plans and promises that he intends to carry out. And so from verse 15 to verse 21, we see uh, the observation, the third observation is this, that the Lord hears and sees Hagar and Ishmael. Okay, the Lord hears and sees Hagar and Ishmael. So Hagar departs from Abraham's household. She was given some food and water to survive. Uh, we aren't sure how much time has passed uh, according to the text, but it's clear that uh, whatever time has passed, Hagar and Ishmael have run out of that food and water. Okay? And so they're out in the wilderness. It's come to the point where Ishmael looks like he's about to die. Whether it be out of dehydration, whether it be maybe heat stroke, something like that, he is going to die out in the wilderness with his mother. And so in this dramatically heartbreaking scene, Hagar hides Ishmael under a bush and goes some distance away where she does not have to hear him. And she just weeps, right? She just cries. And who would want to look upon the death of their own child, right? But in verse 17, yet again, in desperate times, the Lord intervenes. Right? This seems to be a pattern that we see in, in our own lives even, that the Lord intervenes when we seem to be in the most desperate of times. And so one of his angels uh, calls out to Hagar uh, and appears after, uh, the, after he hears the voice of Ishmael. And it's interesting that it is the voice of Ishmael that God hears, not Hagar's weeping, but it's Ishmael's crying out that the Lord hears. And that's important because it reminds us that Ishmael's name means God hears. It's a reminder of God's promises. And so perhaps Hagar had forgotten the God who hears her, right? Hears Ishmael and he hears and looks after her. But regardless of whether or not she remembered wasn't the point. The point is the Lord hears and sees despite her forgetfulness of who God is, right? And so again, this shows us God's character and nature, his gracious character and 
nature. And so in that moment, God opens her eyes and she sees a well of water where she was able to refill her skin with water and then save Ishmael. And so, and then it ends with this sort of tag about what happens to Ishmael after all this, right? Uh, we see Ishmael grow up. He lives in the wilderness, becomes an expert with the bow, and he takes a wife from the land of Egypt that his mother had found for him, where Hagar, Hagar is actually from. And so while we will only see Ishmael a few more times after this, uh, he and Isaac will bury Abraham when Abraham dies. And then we'll see a genealogy of Ishmael in chapter 25, and it will show that the Lord follows through on his promises to make him a nation of 12 princes, and then he'll settle in the direction of Assyria over against all his kinsmen, just like the Lord had said. And if so if you have been following along to this point, and you are trying to figure out what the point of it all is, and you haven't figured it out, well, let me just make it very clear. It's this, that the Lord is faithful to his promises. But that, is, that is the point of this whole story between Isaac, the birth of Isaac and uh, the expulsion of Hagar and Ishmael is that the Lord is just faithful. He's dependable that he's going to follow through, right? He's, uh, he's faithful to follow through on his word. He finally gives Sarah and Abraham the offspring that he promised back in chapter 12 after decades of wandering this foreign land. Uh, he will make a nation of Ishmael as he promised in chapter 17 and, and reiter reiterates it here and will be later fulfilled in chapter 25. And then through conquering kings and fire and brimstone falling from the sky, displays of courageous faith, expressions of cowardly failure, God, by his gracious character and nature, is working out his plan of redemption through the promises he has made in his covenant to Abraham. And so we know that while Isaac is a promised offspring, the Gospels and the Apostle Paul will reveal to us that the promised offspring is actually Jesus Christ. And it is through Christ that the descendants of Abraham will number the stars as the Lord had revealed to Abraham in chapter 15. And so if all of human history from creation all the way up to this point, 2020 right now, right, is you can just imagine it as the night sky, then every Christian that has ever lived is a shining star that is lighting up the world. We are right now fulfillments of God's covenant to Abraham in chapter 15. Um, and so we are, by faith, the children of Abraham that the Lord promised him would number the stars. Now, does that mean we are now the inheritors of the land of Canaan? Like, should we all just pack up our things and move to Canaan in the Middle East and be like, kick out all the people there and be like, hey, this is ours. We're sons of Abraham, right? No, that, that would be really irresponsible, honestly. It's, it's terrible theology. That would cause, I'm sure, international geopolitical problems as well. But, um, Christ, but this, this, some people think this way, right? Christians will read the promises of the Old Testament without putting them in the right context and think that it applies to us today, when in reality, it might only apply to a specific group of people that's mentioned in the Bible. Or sometimes we'll take a different, totally different genre of scripture like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes and we think those sayings apply to us like promises when in reality it applies to us like what it is. It's, it's wisdom, like it's meant to be just wisdom, just general, like how the world works and how we can live and navigate the world with, uh, by fearing the Lord, right? So then the question then becomes, as sons of Abraham, sons and daughters, children of Abraham, um, what promises apply to us? Right? If, if the Lord is faithful to his promises, what promises is he exactly talking about? Right? Well, there are many, 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 many promises. Okay? I'm going to give you 27 promises today. 
Okay, one from each book of the New Testament, and that's what in the in the little pamphlet. That's what that list of passages is. Um, you, I would encourage you to look them up yourself. What I'm going to do right now is just give you a sh- short one sentence summary of each of what those promises is promising. Right. Um, and you, don't, you can write this down if you want, uh, but I would actually just encourage you, if you really want to be encouraged, um, you can turn this into like a month-long devotion, just looking it up, reading, and meditating on what promises you have in Christ, right? Okay, so I'm going to read these through. Um, starting in Matthew chapter 11, 28, the promise is this, that Jesus will give you rest if you come to him. Right? That's a promise from the Lord. Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus, Jesus can save anyone because all things are possible with God. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, the, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. John chapter 10, verse 29, our salvation is secure no matter what. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise from the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, With every temptation, the Lord will provide a way of escape. That's a great promise for those of us who are struggling with the battle against sin every day. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, you are a new creation in Christ. Galatians 6, verse 8, you will reap everlasting life if you sow in the Spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, God will finish the good work that he began in you. If you feel a little incomplete, know that the Lord is still working and just trust him in that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, we will appear with Christ when he appears in glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, God will sanctify you and keep you blameless. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, the Lord will protect you from the evil one. Those of you who are going through spiritual warfare and struggles against the evil one and the lies of Satan, know that the Lord is protecting you from him. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, training in godliness has value in every sphere of life. This is really good for us, for those of us who have trouble reading your Bible and finding worth in it. Reading your Bible and practicing spiritual disciplines like prayer, it tells us that it's, 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 it has value in every sphere of our lives, in our work, in our families, in our friendships, in our relationships. Doing spiritual disciplines is good for every sphere of your life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, a crown of righteousness awaits for those who await for Jesus to come back. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Christ is purifying his people. The book of Philemon, um, I couldn't find like a specific one, but I summarized one that I, as I was reading it, um, just came up. Uh, loving other Christians can bring refreshment in Christ. Okay, loving other Christians brings refreshment in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we can confidently approach God's throne to receive mercy and grace. Those of you who need mercy and grace today, you can confidently approach God's throne because of what Christ has done. James chapter 1, verse 5, God gives wisdom to those who ask for it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, our inheritance is being kept for us in heaven by the power of God through faith. Those of you who are fearing that you won't go to heaven one day because you like messed up a few times, know that it is not by your power that your inheritance is kept. It's by God's power. 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, if we grow in our character, our knowledge of Christ will continue to bear more and more fruit. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. 2 John verse 9, if you abide in the teachings of Christ, you have fellowship with the Father and the Son. 
3 John, verse 11, if we do good that God has called us to imitate, we display that we are from God. Jude, verse 21, perseverance in the faith will eventually lead to eternal life. The Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus is coming back soon. These and many, 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 many more promises are given to us today and applied to us today. Every one of these are worth giving our lives to Jesus for. And here's the beauty of it, though, in, in amongst all this. If our courage fails like Abraham's does multiple times, if we doubt or despair like Sarah does multiple times, or if we are tempted and fall into worldly possessions and things like that like Lot does, or we act pridefully or mockingly uh, uh, like Hagar and Ishmael, the Lord is still faithful to, uh, to his promises. Because it is not in our works or our plans or even our character and nature that God looks at and weighs to see if we're deserving of his blessing. He looks at Christ and weighs his merit and his blood. And Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, they are sufficient. So we receive his blessings despite all our failures and faithlessness. We receive his blessings because he is a faithful God. Let me pray for us.